Hello, and welcome to Contemplative Episcopalian, a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. I am Father T.J. Humphrey, and for this episode of our podcast, I'm going to share with you my sermon for this upcoming Sunday, uh, September 1st, 2019. The sermon is titled, Become What You Are. I hope you enjoy. Have you ever had what some people would consider uh, a mystical experience? Sometimes people have mystical experiences in church or other sacred spaces. Sometimes people have them at monasteries or hermitages or other places of prayer. Others might have mystical experiences while reading the Bible or other sacred spiritual texts. And still others might uh, have them while contemplating something in nature, something in our world. Well, my friend Adam, (laughs) he had his first mystical experience at my bachelor party. You know, because nothing says mysticism and a wholesome Christian experience like a bunch of dudes broing it out at a bachelor party together. <laughs> to be fair, though, uh, my bachelor party was not terribly wild. <laughs> I uh, I was just as boring then as I am today. Uh, no, we did not go clubbing. We were good boys. We stayed on this side of the river, away from all of the strip clubs and other such naughty establishments. Uh, truthfully, uh, in all honesty, all I wanted was to smoke a few mediocre cigars, things you could pick up from the, the gas station. I wanted to sip on some good bourbon. That was a must. But most importantly, I wanted to just hang out with my friends, many of whom I had not seen for a very, very long time. And luckily for me, my friends, they all obliged me. My friend Adam, though, the one who had the mystical experience, he came early in the evening and he was ready to party, and so much so that he actually showed up to the party an hour early. Yeah, he was that friend, that kind of party guy. (laughs) Um, I didn't realize it until the end of the night, though, but he was the only friend present who did not identify as some sort of Christian. The rest of us had come from some sort of, like, Christian background, but he, uh, he was different. Before that night, he had prided himself in being an anarcho-capitalist atheist. Whatever in the hell that meant. (laughs) He he often chided me for my Christian faith, as many would do, uh, many who would claim that it was too exclusive or too narrow or too anti-intellectual. He was right on on board that bandwagon. But I was too, uh, all too happy to point out to him, though, that the only one who could understand uh, what anarcho-capitalist atheism meant uh, was him. So he probably had me beat in the exclusive, narrow-minded club, at least during that season of life. But Adam's view on things began to shift that night, though, as something truly peculiar and kind of strange shook him to his core. He watched as I greeted all of my other churchy, Christian, and pseudo-Christian sorts of friends as they came through the door. And he watched as we all caught up on on the things in life that we catch up on, you know? Things normal. Now these friends had always been a bit radical. We've always been a bit edgy together. And my friends that evening especially, they would have made dear old Pat Robertson from the 700 Club blush (laughs) that night for sure. Uh, because they told all sorts of crass sex jokes. I mean, it was the night before my wedding, after all, and we all enjoyed copious amounts of bourbon. Uh, There's nothing in life like a good bourbon. Uh, I'm convinced that Jesus was either very proud of us or quite embarrassed of us that evening, and I imagine it was probably a good mixture of the two. 
But as my friends began to get all of the feistiness out of their systems, the gears began to shift rather substantially that evening. We all became very sentimental, and we laughed as we remembered all of the good times that we had shared together over the years. There were lots of stories about things like crazy college pranks, meaningful ministry experiences, and adventurous road trips that we had taken together. Uh, I'm a very blessed man. I've always had good friends, and this particular group, we were a group where we could just let our guard down around one, with, around one another and just be real with each other. Uh, something I'm afraid is just too rare in the world these days. As the evening progressed, though, I noticed that Adam was becoming more and more reclusive. And by the end of the night, he had distanced himself from everyone else entirely while we were all having our conversation. And as the party subsided, Adam was the very last person to leave. And right after everybody else left, he actually broke down and began to sob. And I was concerned. How do you go from fun bachelor party to the grown man sobbing, you know, by the end of the night? Um, so I sat down next to him to just ask, like, what's going on? And I'll never, ever forget what he said to me that night. The way you all love one another. And the way you all are just so real with each other. I'm not capable of love like that. There's something divine, something otherworldly, in the way that you all treat each other, he said. Nobody preached the gospel to him that night. Nobody had a mission to proselytize him uh, for Jesus or the church. And trust me when I tell you, we weren't exactly talking about all of the wholesome Christian things we learned in Sunday school either. Yet Adam had somehow encountered God that evening. He had encountered something divine through the way that we loved each other and through the way in which we all loved him. Adam was baptized, and he came into the church within a year of this experience. You know, who would have thought that a, a bachelor party uh, could lead somebody to conversion and to God? When you and I, when we see people loving each other well, we may not be able to name what it is that we're seeing exactly, but we somehow know that what we are seeing is the most important thing in this universe. Whenever we see two selfless people making vows of love to one another, whenever we see a parent loving their child with all of their might, whenever we see the selfless person in the parish doing so much and asking for nothing in return, whenever we see two friends sacrificing so much of themselves simply to better each other's lives, when we see these sorts of things, we somehow know that we are witnessing the most important thing in existence. When those of us who profess to follow Jesus actually love each other in the way that the Christ has loved us, onlookers realize that they have somehow encountered something divine in our midst. After all, Jesus says this, By this the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Perhaps the church at large is in the predicament that it is in today because we have not taken Jesus' words here seriously or literally enough.
Because as human beings, we are, we're wired for love. In fact, the word that we get the English word person from is prosopon in the Greek. It's a composite word, uh, prosopon. And it means I have my face turned towards someone or I am opposite of somebody else. In other words, it evokes a notion of relationship. And there's a lot of wisdom in this little word because it teaches us that when thinking of our own personhood, we cannot think of ourselves apart from others around us and the relationships that we share with them. We are truly persons whenever we learn to see others around us and love them for who they are. And we're truly persons whenever we allow others to do likewise for us. Relationships are intrinsic to what it means to be human. And this is precisely why love compels us so much. Because we know that through it, we are fulfilling our humanness. In loving others, we become more human, with our faces genuinely turned to the other. And whenever other people love us in return, with their faces genuinely turned towards us, we are all becoming all the more human together. The greater the authenticity and the greater the love, the greater our humanness becomes. Love is not something that we do so much. It's ontological, it, meaning it's bound up with our very existence, is bound up with what it means for us to be, period. And love empowers us to become who we are. The author of Hebrews tells us to let mutual love continue. This is the admonition given to the church. And the author goes on to tell us that mutual love continues whenever we share in the lives and the heartache of others. Mutual love will happen whenever we suffer when others suffer. Mutual love will happen whenever we feel imprisoned when others around us are imprisoned. And mutual love will happen whenever we feel tortured whenever others are tortured in this world. In other words, and to narrow it down, mutual love exists whenever we have learned the virtue of empathy, where we refuse to distance or shield ourselves from the heartache of the people around us. Just as Jesus entered into our pain and shouldered it, true love exists whenever we enter into the pain of others and help to ease their heavy burdens. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that mutual love exists whenever we honor the sacredness of marital unions and stick with them. And goes on to say that true love exists whenever we're not so in love with our own money and possessions that we're unwilling to freely share with those in need. In other words, true love exists whenever we honor the commitments that we have made to one another, through thick and thin, through better and worse, True love exists whenever we stick by each other, period. In our gospel reading, Jesus tells us that we are to have a humble view of ourselves, that we are to never exalt ourselves over anybody else, and that we are to give unto others and serve others without any expectation of some sort of return. Again, to simplify it, in other words, we are to pursue relationships, not because we can get something out of them, but we are to pursue relationships for the sake of the relationships themselves. They are enough. They make us who we are. From these readings this morning, we learn that it is people who
who matter most, people who matter more than anything, more than our sense of security, more than our worldly possessions, more than our social standings, more than any number in our savings account or checking account. It's people who matter more than our traditions, more than our ministries, more than our own egos, and yes, it's people who matter even more than our churches. So many today have left the church because they have not felt that the church is a place where mutual love has existed, much less continued, as the author of Hebrews would put it. People have felt that the church has not been a place where humanness has been cultivated within its members. My friends, do you wish to see more people in our pews again? Then it's simple. Love one another. Love without expectation of any return. Love as if your entire existence depends upon it, because it does. <laughs> love everyone here, even those whom you find it very hard to love. Love others into greater humanness. Let yourself be loved into greater humanness. Love in the way that you wish to be loved. Love and let God do the rest. As your priest, I invite you to be precisely who you are right now in this moment. And I urge you to love from the center of who you are. Become more spiritual by becoming more human. Become more godly by becoming more you. God created you to be you. And by being yourself, you become all that God has intended for you to be. And by being you, by being yourself in this sacred space, you will enable and empower others to become more of themselves too. So love. Love and the people in our city will find you and this place irresistible because they will find that you and this place make them more of who they are in God's grace. My friends, become what you already are in God's eyes, and others will find the freedom and the empowerment to do the same. This is Father T.J. Humphrey. Thank you for listening.